he actually came to a place of being willing to stop trying to talk me out of my beliefs and instead to express limited amount of openness just to stay connected, but also a lot of boundaries with compassion. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the third favourite episode of... Oh, no. (laughs) Let's try that again, shall we? I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite, you know, questionably at this moment above average podcast. But it is infinitely curious. It's timed out and yeah, that's the butchered intro. (laughs) You'd think I would have learned by now, right? You'd think I'd learn how the intro to my own show goes, but evidently not. I'm going to leave that in there. I'm actually going to leave that botch intro in there because, you know, I'm human. I make mistakes. I am fallible. These things happen. And I feel that it's good to show that sometimes. And I feel that it kind of taps into some of the discussion we've been having last week and that we're going to continue this week. The idea of human frailty and just human nature, you know, good intentions and mistakes, and most importantly, learning from those mistakes. In this week's episode, we are going to be concluding our two-part conversation with Alice. Alice is a former member of QAnon who was kind and gracious enough to lend me her time and her insight when talking very candidly and openly about her experience in and with QAnon. In the first half of the conversation which we had last week, we look primarily at how exactly it is that Alice discovered QAnon, what it is that sort of pulled her deeper and further into the rabbit hole. We also look at what it is that caused her to make quite a dramatic shift when it comes to political alignment and identity, what it is that made her go from being a hardened Bernie supporter to a QAnon follower. We also dive into some of the thoughts and feelings that came with this experience, the the personal mindset, the the shift within that happened upon discovering QAnon, and yeah, just how that made Alice feel when she found her quote-unquote great awakening. We're also going to take a look at how that great awakening affected her life in general, how it affected interactions with other people and relationships with people, people that she had known, loved, and cared about for some time. That's something we're also going to tap into with this episode as we take a look at how QAnon had an effect on her marriage, some of the trials and tribulations that she and her husband faced during her time in QAnon. But as you can tell from the title of this episode, there is more of an emphasis on the positive here. This episode, this half of the conversation, deals primarily on escaping the rabbit hole, what it is that led Alice to question, to doubt, and then eventually depart the QAnon community. On top of that, we're also going to be looking at how life has been since she has left the QAnon community and how she's been trying to sort of parlay her time, energy, focus and experience to create a sense of comfort, help and support to anybody else that has maybe had similar experiences or been through a similar thing or to anybody that has just been affected by Q, whether that is directly or indirectly. 
So yeah, there's quite a lot in this second half of the conversation, a lot to get into and unpack, but rather than give you any more cliff notes, let's let's get into it. Yeah, let's dive head first into the second half of this conversation. This is me talking to Alice, and yeah, it's really, really, honestly, one of the most insightful conversations I think we've had on the show to this to this point. And I feel very, very grateful for Alice for coming on and talking to me about this. So I want to go from from the natural high that you got to the come mm-hmm. down and uh, the the doubt that kind of came to you and uh, the the movement towards leaving Q. Uh, how did that happen? Well, how long were you in? Was it six months? It was, think, it was six to seven months. Yeah. Getting out of it was not near as quick as getting into it. Right. So it's difficult for me to say when I was clearly 100% out. I mean, even okay. now, right, I, I say I'm 100% out, and yet there were conspiracy theories I believed before going down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and there's some that I question having gotten out of the rabbit hole. So how do you Absolutely. say when somebody's in or out, you know, and there's also, there's conservatives who don't believe that they're QAnons, but their belief system's like 75% aligned with QAnon. <laughs> right, yeah, it kind of matches up with a lot of major points. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, and it's something that I definitely wanted to make a highlighted point of, uh, and it was a question a little bit down the line, was mm-hmm. it asking about your transition, how it was for you, or how it is for you because it's one of those things I imagine it's still kind of ongoing in, in small subtle nuanced ways mm-hmm. but yeah getting to the point of you getting I don't know a little bit suspicious maybe questioning the things that you had kind of bought into the, the sort of the enlightenment that you'd got what was it that kind of made you begin to sort of turn away and, and think okay maybe this isn't what I thought it was. One big piece um, as as you might know there were all kinds of predictions that were made, yeah. you know, between the 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 Q drops and That's right. the Q insiders. Um, and one of the predictions, and this was an especially big one because of the the film that I watched. One of the predictions was that John F. Kennedy Jr. was actually alive, and he is a white hat, and and one of the main players in terms of the the good guys who are seeking to fight the cabal. And that he supports Donald Trump. And um, and there were rumors that he might actually come out as Donald Trump's running mate for the 2020 election. Mm. And so um, I had put a lot of significance on that. If uh, JFK Jr. truly is alive and and if so much is at stake for the 2020 election, then JFK Jr. will come out in some way to support Donald Trump. If Donald Trump is that essential to the cabal falling, like this is just my my logic from this movie and from okay. things I saw afterwards, JFK Jr. will come out. Uh, he didn't, right? <laughs> right. He did not come out. <laughs> Although there are people who will argue that and they'll show pictures of all his disguises and all the evidence that he's still alive and the secret ways that he comes out. But he did not come out right. um, in any way that was meaningful to me. I guess I'll say that. Uh, okay. And so that, that was a big break in terms of my faith in the plan or the, the QAnon belief system. So that 
you know, he would have come out by election day. So I would say I was still pretty strongly in it through election day. I know that uh, on election day, my leaning was for Donald Trump to win. Uh, At that point, even though JFK Jr. had not come out, I'd been watching conservative media for so long that I was highly concerned about China as a growing world power. And I was putting more allegiance or belief into this idea that Trump was taking appropriate action against the dangers of, of China's rise and that Biden has somehow been purchased by China. Okay. Uh, that that was going really strong in the conservative uh, media channels at the time. The other thing that was going on for months in conservative media channels was the idea that the Democrats were seeking to rig the election and to right. basically steal it. So I'd been seeing all that for months. So even though JFK Jr. didn't come out, I still had this concern about China. So I was still, I was still in that camp. So that was one big break. I think another thing was uh, we had we'd moved away from from where we are uh, temporarily, and we we were in Trump land for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was feeling more comfortable there. But uh, but we we chose to come back home around the time of the election, and so I was back in my community, and it was intensely uncomfortable for me to have QAnon beliefs and be around people who. I didn't feel safe around. Right. So one of the things I started to do is I started to actively engage in uh, some across the aisle kind of dialogues. I really wanted to build a bridge between my left wing community and some right wing um, community that I had built. So I started to engage in some of these dialogues that were trying to build a bridge between these two political parties. Mm-hmm. And engaging in those dialogues helped me to hear some of the news that I had been avoiding for right. months. Okay. So I started to open the door again to hearing some of the left-wing news points that, um, yeah, I'd basically been ignoring. And that started to shift things as well. Um, I, you know, I definitely heard uh, from some friends, friends and family members, their personal experiences they were having around the coronavirus. And I, I was hearing about people who had lost friends and family members. I do have some doctors in my extended family. So I had some conversations with them over the holidays and so those also started to break down some of the QAnon belief system that right. I had. So, so hearing from people that you know in, in the real world that aren't affiliated with conglomerates or right. news outlets, but actual people. Right, actual people I know in front Yeah. Of. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also reached out to a friend who I knew was a progressive left wing and just somebody I trust, somebody who, who I, I view as mm-hmm. being intelligent and tuned in and, and somebody who also has been very compassionate with me. You know, I didn't fear that they were going to judge me or argue with me or anything like that. Right. And I appreciated how he pointed out how difficult it is to organize large numbers of human beings and how difficult it would be 
to actually pull off the kind of conspiracy theory that QAnon says is going on with the cabal, okay. that it's, it's so many people that you'd have to organize to keep secrets and to play with this devious plan and, and just said, you know, I just have a whole lot more belief in humanity. I don't think you could get that many people organized to, per- to participate in something that dark. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me that that could happen. Right. Because it would take a lot of people to be on board with a pretty sinister plan. Huge. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like the, you know, the, the top politicians and government insiders in, in every major government and more. Yeah. Um, you know, top pharmaceutical people and news people and it's education, right? It's like across everything. Right. And That's it. it. It crosses all planes. Yeah. Right. It's a pretty convoluted WhatsApp text chain going on there. <laughs> So I, I really appreciated that perspective sure. because that that would be huge to pull off. So that was another kink in the armor. So it was like a lot of different little, it wasn't particularly one thing. It was just like a lot of separate cracks that were kind of happening. In right, a, lot, a lot of separate cracks. I also remember um, one of the things my husband did is I really appreciated he he made a turn and he decided that he was not going to argue with me or try and talk me out of my beliefs because that was just creating misery for both of us. I was going to ask so so that's what was that was that going on at this point? Oh goodness, we went through so much. Yeah. <laughs> it 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 nearly broke us several times. The advice he had gotten was to not try to talk me out of it, not try and argue with me. Right. To, um, to learn to accept that I had a new belief system mm-hmm. and that it may never change. You know, again, like a religious conversion, sometimes people have a religious conversion sure. and that then shapes their reality moving forward. Absolutely. He was advised to treat it in that way, that my belief system had shifted and it might never come back and to see if he could accept my new belief system and still love me. And, wow. and still create a beautiful life with me. And I remember when he had that insight because it was, it was a night and day difference in terms of the quality of the way he related with me. He wasn't trying to argue with me. He was no longer, he was, you know, he'd, he'd gotten into um, calling me some pretty bad names and that didn't work for me in terms of a loving relationship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so he, he recognized that that was coming from a place of, frustration and desperation and impatience and he and he recognized he didn't it it wasn't in alignment with his values to do that either so he actually came to a place of being willing to stop trying to talk me out of my beliefs and instead to express limited amount of openness just to stay connected but also a lot of boundaries with compassion Uh, you know if he did not have tolerance (laughs) If he did not have space to hear about, you know, the latest thing about pedophilia or vaccines or whatever it was, he would, he would say, I just, I don't want to hear about it right now. Yeah. And I respected that. Um, Mm -hmm. Not everybody does. There are plenty of QAnons who are like, I don't care if you don't have space, you have to, you know, that'll destroy relationships. Mm -hmm. I seek to practice, you know, consent as much as possible. So if somebody right. doesn't want to have a conversation with me, then I, I seek to not have that conversation. 
And I think that's definitely a good sort of attribute and a good tool that everyone, regardless of what you believe, should kind of adopt. Absolutely. Boundaries and parameters are are some of the healthiest devices we have at our disposal. Absolutely. Yeah. So there were some times when I said, this is really important to me. I I feel like I need to talk with you about it. So if it can't Mm -hmm. happen now, when can it happen? And then we might set aside a time. Sometimes he would ask me, why is it so important to you? Right. What would, how would it change anything if you share something with me? Like what difference would it make in our lives? And, you know, when I thought about that, some of it, I was able to say, okay, you know, it doesn't really like child pedophilia does not have an immediate impact on us. If I Mm -hmm. want to donate to an organization that's seeking to stop child trafficking and, you know, and he wants to know about that donation. We can talk about it, but that's a relatively small thing. Vaccines are a different thing. You know, the the vaccine, uh, what if what if he wants to take it and I don't want to take it? What does that mean for us? Right. Um, what if at some point airlines or different uh, grocery stores requires a vaccine passport? You know, how does that impact us? And so sometimes with the vaccines, he would just say, okay, you know, right now the vaccine passport isn't happening and a a realistic timeline, even if it were to happen, here's the timeline. So we have time to respond to, to the vaccine passport. I'm not going to force you to take a vaccine. He knows that for me, that would be a a crossing the line. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then we'd figure out how to, to negotiate the, the passport. Does that mean that we don't internationally travel but does that mean that we consider another country where vaccine passports are less of an issue um he said let's let's get to that when it's it's more concrete if it ever gets there and that was enough to just calm me down to say he hears me he cares about what's important to me and he's seeking to address it in a loving and connected way yeah so uh, sometimes we had to navigate um things like that but he learned to stop trying to argue me out of things. He would sometimes say, you know, I hear you and I don't agree with you. Would you be willing to understand why? Would you be willing to see something that I've seen uh, that leads me to a different conclusion? Right. So again, he's kind of asking for consent because mm-hmm. if he doesn't do that, he just pushes it on me. Then it feels like an right. argument. But if he asks consent, then it feels supportive. I now have choice. Is that something I want to see or not? That was a major upgrade from what was happening prior to this advice that he was given. And I remember him once saying, you know, I'm willing to be wrong. It's possible that the things that I believe are true are not true. Mm -hmm. I remember when he said that, I was like, yes, victory. He's going to wake up. You know, I was really excited. (laughs) And then he paused for a while and, and he said, are you willing to do the same? Uh, are you willing to consider that maybe some of the things you believe are true might not be true? Right. And I said, yes, I am. And that was in integrity for me. I still thought I had the truth and I still thought he was brainwashed, but I was willing to recognize that there were things I was believing that might not be true. In fact, there were things I was believing that I would discover were not true. Right. So that was also helpful in terms of just creating an openness in my mind. Yeah. 
for sure like a like a middle ground of sorts yeah. for you to kind of sort of survey the landscape from a different angle than you had yeah. been before both prior to falling down the rabbit hole and afterwards I suppose it's kind of given you a, a fresh perspective to sort of look in a 360 degree angle mm-hmm. as it were yeah. um well well I mean that sounds like uh, quite the the gradient quite the journey that you guys have, have gone through but that is some some real emotional intelligence and maturity to reach to that point to mm. be okay I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with every point and kind of find through trial and error it seems like and through um, give and take like a, a, an area to sort of work with with what was happening that's amazing yeah. I, mean, I'm, I mean I'm glad that you guys got to that point for sure yeah. Oh, you know, another thing he did is he suggested, he said, you are spending so much time on your phone and mm-hmm. life is happening. <laughs> can you I, spend I, less can, time can on your just, phone and more time in life? Yeah. Can we just emphasize that for everybody listening, no matter, no oh. matter what your belief system? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was really helpful too. I, I started to become more aware of my addiction to being mm-hmm. on my phone and, um, you know, it was wonderful if I could instead go out hiking or, you know, find some place to to jump in the water, whether it was a pool or a river or a lake, you know, to, being in life is, is so much more wonderful. So that, mm-hmm. that was very helpful. I think another, another thing that comes up, I, I was, I was pretty well out of the rabbit hole by the time January 6th rolled around. Okay. Um, I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, I was accepting that Joe Biden was going to be president, although I was still like, I don't know, let's see what what happens with all the election accusations that are happening. But I, it, I was like, okay, seems like this is happening. And so at that point, sorry to jump in, Alice. At that point, were you just kind of like standing almost to the sidelines and kind of being like, well, let's see how this plays out. You weren't committed to the, to the big lie, as it were. You were just kind of like... Yeah, I was okay, definitely let's... much more, let's see how this plays out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was I was not surprised when January 6th happened because I'd no. seen the buildup on the QAnon and conservative news side. Mm-hmm. It was shocking in the weeks afterwards to to really get the news on the details of January 6th and how bad it actually was. I was not aware, you know, on January 6th of the number of white supremacists and uh, neo-Nazis, you know, Hitler sympathizers that were present in support of Trump. Right. Uh, And that that was uh, nauseating bit of news to receive as somebody who had been supporting the the Trump side of politics for the previous six months. So that that was also more of kind of chinks in my QAnon armor, I suppose, if there was much left at that point. And then I think as I shared with you, I I found the QAnon casualties in mid to late June, sorry, not June, mid to late January. And that was that was really such a bucket of cold water experience. I I read like six stories, and I was a ball of tears, just going, "Oh my God, what have I been involved in, and what is it doing to families and the fabric of society?" And at that point, it was like, "I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. And what can I possibly do to help heal some of the damage that's being done?" Yeah. 
And I was I was going to touch on this because this is something that, that digging through some of, some of the posts I've seen. One thing that I think is extremely commendable, and I and I I love the fact that a place like QAnon casualties and other uh, uh, sort of side related areas of the internet exist for this reason for people that have been through through this experience to various degrees, various levels of of depth, um, and what have you. Is is this place where where people can open up, talk about their experience, talk about what has happened to them personally, directly, and to people they know or people they love and care about? And, yeah. and something that I've seen you doing is is kind of just offering a lot of support to other people that have been affected. Doing the best I can. It's it's such a difficult topic, but doing the best I can to at least bring about some understanding. Yeah, and I think you know we talked briefly about like the, the good things that you can pull from this experience, and I think what you're doing at the minute and kind of being able to share your story, not just here but on on those boards with those people, is a massive, massive plus mm-hmm. to it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think it is definitely helping people, especially people that are just coming out of the rabbit hole now that are, are still very raw, and a lot of people that, as we said, maybe have caused the division between both sides of, of their sort of life before and after in a rebuilding yeah. from scratch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very... as you're saying that it, there's no support for people who are, I, I've not, you know, you have to find a therapist who is mm-hmm. skilled enough to help you figure it out. It, but you know, there aren't support groups. There are people who are coming out, have a lot to deal with. There's a lot yeah. of cleanup work. There's a lot of trying to figure out how to deprogram yourself and, trust yourself again and figure out what's real and what's not real and how to take care of your mental emotional well-being it's really not easy and i i feel blessed to have a number of, of skills existing and a, a decent support a really good actually support community mm-hmm. but it's not it's not like a QAnon recovery support community it's, i really have to figure it out on my own and it's painful for me to imagine how many other people are doing it with less support than I have Mm -hmm. but it's good that that there is the resource there you know even if it's just people lurking even if it's just people that aren't quite comfortable with coming out and and speaking about their experience and story to begin with seeing other people put into words things that for a number of people uh, would have felt like a a particular individual experience seeing other people share similar stories and parallels giving that idea that okay it's not just me that's experienced this it's not just me that's had this happen to me during this period other people have that in itself is is a great sort of beacon of of support and um a a real sort of we need to build upon it you know another challenging thing about reddit is that i think the anonymity also gives some people more permission to be more cruel yeah Um, well yeah yeah, some of the attacks I've gotten on Reddit have been brutal. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And 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 this kind of tethers back to to what we were talking about before about the idea of free speech and on the internet and what right. have you. The internet as a tool, I know you talked about this recently with with a guest that's come on um not so long ago is mm-hmm. the internet is essentially a hammer. How you use that hammer is is really right. dependent on the person. You can you can just absolutely uh, destroy somebody with it or you can build something pretty amazing exactly, exactly. depending on your intent yeah, um if we could just blend the golden rule in with our speech, <laughs> i think we'd be okay oh uh, yeah that would be the ideal for sure 
But how has your experience been with, with QAnon um, casualties and, and that side of the coin so far? Yeah, generally good. I've definitely had a number of people who have expressed um, gratitude and appreciation, um, which makes it worthwhile because if it were all the other stuff, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't. It, you know, I, I, of course, I've had uh, a lot of people reach out, lots of journalists reach out to me wanting to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some researchers as well. So I appreciate that it's given me some opportunity to share my story with people who might be able to make a bigger difference uh, with it as well. Because again, the things that are happening to families are so heartbreaking. Yeah. And I feel, I don't know, I feel some sense of responsibility given what I've experienced to, yeah, to share and to try and make a difference. So, you know, I really appreciate when somebody reaches out to me who shares my value for compassion and understanding yeah. and, and rehumanizing people Yeah, that feels like a, a supportive partnership, you know, to, to help people deal with this situation. Absolutely. And I think that you, you hit on a really integral word with, with rehumanizing, because I think, you know, from both sides, whether you're in the the collective whether you're in the rabbit hole or you're outside looking down there's a lot of dehumanizing from both sides absolutely the idea of rehumanizing and lending compassion especially to areas that you don't know about or that you're not experienced in is is key to genuine progress Mm -hmm. one thing to kind of tie us off because i know you've got to get away in a moment or two are there any resources that you can offer to help anybody that's listening that maybe is going through this at the moment? Any, anything that you would point out to people, whether they have kind of come out of the rabbit hole themselves or they know people um, that are possibly in it? Just anything that could sort of maybe possibly help anyone that's, that's in need or in search of some material. I participated as a guest on um, Sarah Payton teaches nonviolent communication and, and resonant healing. And she talks about brain science and conspiracy theory. I understand QAnons generally don't like to hear QAnon referred to as conspiracy theory. That's Mm -hmm. considered often denigrating by people. It's kind of like saying, well, it's not true. So I I guess I want to say that there are conspiracy theories which have been proven to be true. And when they're not proven, they are theory. Yeah. Um, So I really appreciated she has a profoundly compassionate approach that I feel can help to build a bridge between people who are uh, in the rabbit hole and people who are not. That could potentially be helpful as somebody who is seeking to rebuild things, having gotten out of the rabbit hole. There are a number of videos that Vice, the Vice channel on YouTube Mm -hmm. has done that have been very helpful for me. And I also would say that nonviolent communication, there are few teachers who really stand out to me who I know have been doing some uh, research and practice around this topic specifically. So not everybody, you know, nonviolent communication is a big world. Everyone's kind of got their specialty. Jim Mansky and John Kenyon are two people who have gone deeper into this particular exploration. And uh, they're both resources that I have found very valuable in figuring out, you know, how, how do you heal relationships that have been damaged? And 
how do you work with perhaps self-judgment and maybe shame, personal shame that has arisen. So those are two. There's probably other teachers in, in that domain as well who would be very supportive, but those are ones that I know have really looked into QAnon specifically yeah. or across the owl conversations specifically. So those are some resources. Um, there's some other things I've pulled together and I'd be happy to share yeah. some links with you. Yeah, please do. I will, okay. I will, I will share those in the show notes for this, along with the, the, the people that you've mentioned, the resources you've just cited there. Uh, if anyone listening is is wanting to dig deeper into this, if you feel this could be of a benefit to someone, I will absolutely throw those up in the show notes, uh, dimed-out.com. Uh, just look for this episode and you'll be able to find all of those in there. Alice, I want to take a moment to just say uh, again, thank you so much for coming on and being very open and candid and uh, yeah, talking to me about your experience. Not easy, I can only imagine, as I said at the top of the show, but it is extremely appreciated. Um, and, and I think we've, we've really kind of hit some, some good ground here and has opened things up a little bit uh, more to, to people. Thank you. gang so there you go that was my conversation with alice very very grateful that she took the time to talk and to talk very candidly about her experience as a member of QAnon and leaving QAnon. you know getting out there and moving forward with her life some very sort of intimate and insightful and at times kind of profound stuff in that conversation and i'm not even being tongue-in-cheek here i'm not being self-deprecating I'm saying that with all sincerity. One of, as I said at the top of the show, the most insightful conversations I think we've had in the show's history so far. So yeah, big heartfelt thank you to Alice and uh, all the best to her moving forward and to anybody else in a similar position that is looking to rebuild and move forward. All the best to you. So during the conversation with Alice, we did have a limited amount of time and a lot to talk about, a lot to address, a lot to get through. So there are a few things that probably did get left out. And one of these things kind of came to Alice a few days after we'd finished recording. I received a message from her with something that she had remembered that she wanted to say at the time. But obviously, at that point, we had finished recording. So... She sent me a message and I said to her that I would read it verbatim as an epilogue at the end of the show. So this is from Alice herself and I quote, A big component of exiting QAnon was my willingness to accept uncertainty. While I was a Berniecrat or a QAnon, I had a sense of certainty. This is what's happening in the world and this is what I can do about it. Since questioning QAnon, I have questioned everything I thought I knew. And in order to do that, I had to be okay with uncertainty. And uncertainty under the real or imagined threat of devastation, annihilation and potential dystopian futures caused by any number of real crises or the possibility that the cabal and their nefarious players could be real. There was a video by Jack Cornfield that helped me begin to embrace uncertainty as a spiritual practice to manage the anxiety and depression that arose quickly in me when we left where she previously was. I'm going to omit place names here. When we left previous place and returned home, 
I felt much safer in previous place than I did at home. In order to exit QAnon, I had to accept that I had fallen for a trap, believed in lies. I had to face my social circles all over again and accept their reactions, as well as the truth that I don't know what is really going on. That was difficult and frightening and required finding peace in myself rather than seeking certainty outside myself. That line, that last line, yeah, that cuts deep. That cuts to the core of a lot of things, I think. And I'm not just talking about outside alignment, outside identity in terms of political movements, political identity, or even spiritual identity, spiritual alignment. I'm talking about it just in general with us as beings, as people. You know, the idea that, yeah, we are all, to some extent, through various different vessels and channels, seeking a sense of certainty, because uncertainty is terrifying. But the biggest, scariest sense of uncertainty is the one that lies within. And I think, and, and look, this is something that I've been working on for most of my life and will probably still be working on for the rest of my life. But yeah, just being cognitive, making peace with the idea of making peace with yourself is an amazing advancement. And it's, it's something that, you know, uh, I feel is, is much more of, of a core and primary objective that we should all have. All right, that's enough soapbox preaching. I hope you get what I'm, I'm laying down. I hope you're picking it up. I really do. Um, Next week's episode. Yeah, I actually, at this moment in time, don't know what is happening. So it's going to be a mystery. And everyone likes a mystery, right? Sure. <laughs> I hope they do. Because I really don't know what's coming down the pike next week. you just got to tune in to find out. you got to do it the old-fashioned way. you got to wait and see. The best way to do that, the best way to ensure that you get that mystery, that you find out what we're doing next week, is, of course, to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. Not only are you going to get every single episode following this one, but you are helping us out enormously. Another way you can help us out is to give us a rating and a review. If you've enjoyed this conversation, if you've taken something from it, if you've enjoyed or taken something from a previous episode, then yeah, let us know. Give us your feedback in a rating and or a review. If you look in the show notes, either on the website dimed-out.com or in the device that you are looking at right now, presumably, you can see a whole bunch of links to other ways that you can support us, mainly our coffee page, which allows you to give a one-off donation if you feel like doing so. Or if you want to get some bonus content, you want to get some extra dimed out goodies, some more content is available via our Patreon account, which, as I say, you can find a link to in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with me about the show, about this episode, about anything in particular, you know, even if you just want to stop by and say, hey, how's it going? If you want to show me pictures of your adorable pets, which I highly encourage, please do. Always welcome. Send me those pet pics then you can do so by finding me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Mal Foster. We also have a Facebook and a YouTube page. All you have to do is just search for Dimed Out Podcast and you can see stuff there, specifically on the YouTube channel, because that is kind of the whole purpose of a YouTube channel, right? To see things. So yeah, go, go check that out if you're so inclined. And on that note, that pretty much does it for this week's episode, guys. As always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, look after each other, 
Really stressing that one this week. Look after each other. And until next time, keep it dimed 